You know, um, it's prudent for leaders to reiterate that they're behind things uh, when we talk about doing things as a church. And so I had notes here to, to reiterate men's prayer. Kent already did that. I, I'm, I can't put an exclamation point to what he already did. But to Topeka Friendship Network, how many here have been involved or are involved in that right now? Would you raise your hands a little higher so people can see? Okay. I just want to give another plug for this. This is one of the simplest ways you can show um, hospitality and grace to an international student. And our family's been doing this, as others here are. Uh, Jing Jing, our friend, this is Jing Jing's last Sunday as she heads back to China. But many of you have gotten to know Jing Jing. She's been your friend. She's been in your homes. And, and Jing Jing got connected with the Halpins through this Topeka Friendship Network. So this training model that's coming up, whatever the date was, you've got it in your bulletin, is just an introduction. It's this is what we do, this is how we do it. It's low key, but it really gives you a great opportunity to welcome someone else in. <clears throat> International students are coming here. You don't have to go around the world to get to meet a new friend, someone from a different culture that will share things with you and you get to share things with them. It's a great thing to do. So I would sure encourage you to consider that if you haven't otherwise. And it is Memorial Day weekend, so memorial, that means memory or remembering. Are we going to put something up there, Reagan? Thank you. Um, remembering is a big deal. So on this weekend, we say we're remembering those who've given their last full measure of devotion for this country and its defense. It's also taken on a larger theme because we, we simply think about people that we've known and lost. And so if you go to the cemeteries tomorrow, they'll be full and there will be flowers everywhere. And you'll probably run into other people you know who have buried friends or relatives. So it's a memory weekend we remember. By the way, I hope you have a study sheet. The theme this morning is also remembering, not because it's Memorial Weekend, but because we're going to start i've got a short series called lessons from deuteronomy and it's really uh, centered around this theme of remembering remembering is a key theme in the old testament uh, looking back remembering where you've come from that gives insight for where you're going that term in hebrew zakar occurs 219 times in the old testament remember 219 times in the old testament when you get to the new testament there's no there's no such comparison about the frequency when God calls you to remember. We'll talk about this a little bit more in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, remembering is a big, big deal. Genesis 8.1 is the first instance God remembered Noah. Malachi 4.4 is the last. Remember the law of my servant Moses. 217 times in between. God's remembering or He's telling us to remember. So that's a big theme. It's an important concept. God says He remembers things like this. The covenants He makes. He remembers His chosen ones. He remembers the barren, those folks who were unable to have children. God remembers them. He remembers His people in times of trouble. Some of the things God remembers. God calls Israel and His chosen ones to remember certain kinds of things too. So He tells them, remember the weekly Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We'll talk about that later. He says, remember the annual feast. Those were important. And you remember the feasts themselves were a mechanism for remembering, for looking back. He says again, a theme that we'll visit this morning. He says, remember 
your former slavery. Remember that you were slaves. He says, remember his past deliverances. Remember the law and the statutes. Remember your past sins. And remember God's past mercy. So remembering in the Old Testament is a huge, huge theme. These are just the the instances of the use of the term remember Zakar. But you remember also incidents where God tells them to do something so that they will remember. Put up this pile of stones there at the Jordan River or put up piles of stones on both sides of the Jordan River so when you see them, you will remember. God led you across on dry feet or God is reiterating that the Jews on the east side of the Jordan are brothers with the Jews on the west side of the Jordan. So remembering is a big, big theme. Are we good? We're good. Okay. So it's a helpful... See if we're doing okay, guys. You may need to advance for me. If we can. Are we? Because I'm trying. No go. Can you advance for me if I just cue you? Can you? Okay, well, go ahead. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get going here. If, if we're without, it'll still work anyway. Uh, there's power in remembering. One of the things that I hope all of us do, do you guys ever intentionally set time aside, maybe once a year, hopefully once a year at least, where you review your calendar? Or maybe you review your calendar and you look at your checkbook? Because when you do that, you're looking at a record of where you've been and what you've been doing and where you've spent your time and your energy. Uh, that calendar and the checkbook, they don't lie, do they? These were my priorities. These were the people I spent the last year with. These are the places we spent our income, our money. Uh, remembering the past humbles us. At least it humbles me. I look back and I see my sin and my failures. But it also encourages me because I look back and I see the way God has come through. And He's done for me what I couldn't do for myself. He's done for others. Thinking of prayer again, what they could not do for themselves. And it solidifies lessons we've learned, relationships we've forged. You know, Looking back may remind you I didn't spend time with somebody this last year that I should have or that I intend to. So remembering, looking back, it's a very, very helpful discipline. There's nothing like it, by the way. If you want to be ready and prepared to move forward, there's nothing like looking back from where you've been to be prepared to look forward to where you're going. Um, we're gonna, the, the lessons are all going to come from Deuteronomy. There's only four. This will get us into July. Um, but on that, uh, the term remember is used 14 times in Deuteronomy. So of those 219 times in the Old Testament, 14 are in the book of Deuteronomy. And if you remember the context of this book, it's the last of the first five books of the Bible. It's the last book of the law or the Pentateuch, Penta 5, the number 5 in Greek. It's the last book. And Moses writes this at the end of his life. So when he writes this, they're on the east side of the Jordan River. And the tribes that are going to stay there, they've already conquered. And it's the rest of the tribes are ready to cross the Jordan and go in and take the land of promise. And Moses is going to die soon. And he knows that. He knows all of this. So when he tells them to remember, they're looking back over the 40 years of wilderness wandering. They're looking back to their Egyptian slavery. And and it's with that sense of, my days are over, you're getting ready to go in, so before you do... 
look back. Some people call Deuteronomy the renewal of the covenant. Deuteronomy 5 has the Ten Commandments. And, and for the generation that's going to go in, some of them were at Sinai, right? It's 40 years later as youth or teenagers. But many of them weren't. These would be the children and the grandchildren of the generation that went through the Exodus that left Egypt. But you remember, from 20 years old and up, they died. So the group that's there, many of them weren't there for the Exodus themselves. So Moses says, before you guys go in, I'm going to review your past. And by reviewing the past, you'll be better prepared for the future God has for you in the land of promise. And that's what we're looking at now. Let's try this again just to see. Hey, sweet. Thanks. We're good. So six of the 14 occurrences in Deuteronomy and those six break down this way. Remember your slavery so you value your deliverance and your freedom. Remember that you were slaves. This comes up repeatedly. Remember your slavery so you value the rest God has given you. You're not slaves, but you have rest now. And remember your slavery so that you treat others with generosity and justice, the generosity and the justice that you did not have as slaves. So remember that. As well. So if you have a Bible, feel free, and all the text will be up here on the screen as well. This is from the ESV. So, first, when Israel celebrates the annual Passover and also in the midst of the Feast of Weeks, 50 days later, God told them to remember their former slavery in Egypt. So, Deuteronomy 16:3, Moses recorded, You shall eat no leavened bread with it, that is, with the Passover. Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction. You guys uh, ever looked at matzah? You can buy matzah at the store. That's the Hebrew for unleavened bread. It's flat. It's scored. And it looks scorched. So if you look at a piece of matzah, it looks like it's been, it's had a hard, short life. It's scored. It's charred. It's hard. And he says when you guys every year, there's so, Passover starts, then the week that follows is the week of unleavened bread. You're going to be eating that matzah all week. And every time you see that scored, charred, sort of brutalized bread, if you will, I want you to remember this. So remember, when you see that, it's the bread of affliction. That bread's going to remind you of your former affliction as slaves. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember. So affliction, remember the day... You came out of the land of Egypt. You're going to see this bread. It's going to remind you of affliction. And when you see it, I want you to remember the day God led you out of slavery in Egypt. So he says, basically, remember life in Egypt as you eat that unleavened bread and what it was like. Remember Pharaoh's harsh service. You know, some of these guys would have been old enough to have worked in the mud pits making bricks without straw. Remember the multitude of ways and times you were afflicted. Remember the death of your sons. You remember Pharaoh commanded, kill all the little boys. And then remember the day Yahweh set you free. The day you walked out in that massive crowd. Remember the affliction. And then remember the day God set you free. So there'd be the stark contrast, wouldn't there? This is what our life was like. And on that one day... After the Passover night, we walked out of Egypt free. I don't know what that does for you guys for, for remember. 
Psalm 126 is one of my favorites. My wife had delivered in the hospital. I can't remember which of the girls. And there was a Gideon Bible. We'll have the Gideons here again this summer, I think in July. Gideon Bible there. And I was reading Psalm 126. And I, and I memorized it. It was so good. But the, the imagery of Psalm 126 is this. Written generations 800 years later. Remember, Israel will go into Babylonian captivity. And it will be a little bit like being in Egypt in the five and six hundreds. But when they came back, Psalm 126 was written. And the guy says, when we came back into the land of promise, we were like those who dream. It seemed too good to be true. That our time in Babylon, captivity was over, we're back in the land of promise. He says it's like a dream. It was so good. Too good to be true almost. That's what God is telling them to do here. Remember the moment of your deliverance. Remember how hard life was before. And then remember the moment, remember the day that God set you free and you walked out in freedom. You know, for some of us, your wedding day might be like this. We've had some weddings. We've got some weddings coming up, right? So there's the thought of, I've got life as it is and I'm anticipating that wedding day and all of a sudden it's there. And so I remember my wedding day. It takes me back. Life before and on that one day everything changed. Also, this time of year, graduation is similar to that too, right? You spend all those years studying, hopefully hard and diligently, and on graduation day, suddenly the past is behind and all the future lies before me. And that's the thought here. When you see that matzah, that unleavened bread, remember what your life was like before, and remember the day God set you free, the day of your deliverance. So that's Passover and unleavened bread. But he, he goes on with the same theme in Deuteronomy 16, verses 10 through 12. So, you know, the Feast of, a, we call it Pentecost typically, but the Feast of Weeks, so 50 days after, uh, sorry, the start of unleavened bread, 50 days later, the barley harvest had come in, the wheat harvest is starting. And so the priest would take some of the wheat harvest, present it before the Lord, this was a time of feasting and celebration. Uh, we have harvests all the time. We, don't, we take this for granted. But if you were a farmer back in the day, to bring the harvest in, that was a big deal. And so the Jews were celebrating with God in this time of plenty. And this is what Moses says. Keep the feast of weeks to the Lord your God with the tribute of a freewill offering from your hand, which you shall give as the Lord your God blesses you. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God Rejoice, celebration, rejoice before the Lord your God, you and your son and your daughter. Now, this is everybody, your male servant, your female servant, the Levite who is within your towns. They got some of that harvest. Remember the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. Now, these come up. This trio comes up again and again in the law. These are the most vulnerable people in Israel. They're going to get some of the fruit of the harvest as well. We'll see that later who are among you at the place that the Lord your God will choose to make His name dwell there, you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. So think of this again. This is in the midst of the celebration. God says, remember you were slaves. When you're in the land God promised you and you're reaping the benefits, the bounty of the land, God says, and by the way, stop a moment and remember that you were slaves. That all the joy you get, all the abundance of the land you get, all the blessing you have is because I freed you as slaves and I brought you to the land of promise. 
So God sets up this intentional contrast in the midst of feasting and joy and celebration. Remember where you started. Remember where you came from. Now, on points of application in all these, there's lots, but no one here, I trust, has ever held, been held in physical slavery or bondage. But guys, this is no overstatement. Slavery in sin and slavery to the God of this world cannot be compared to physical slavery on this earth because it is so much worse and because it can last forever. You know, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says that a slave who has Christ is Christ's free man. A slave indentured here on the earth as a slave is still free in Christ. You can't say that about people that are enslaved to sin. The biggest deliverance you and I have, we take the lessons from the Jews, we apply them to ourselves in our day, is freedom from sin and the God of this world far worse than Pharaoh. And our sin far worse than a a lash that stings temporarily, far worse than the fruits of sin. That's the first thing. And along with that, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, you know what we're doing? As often as you do this, Jesus said what? Remember me. When you look at that matzah, that unleavened bread, it's His body, right? Really broken, really scarred, really marred. Remember my body broken for you. When you drink the cup or the wine, remember my blood shed for you. That's the singular remembering in the New Testament is this. Jesus says, break the bread, drink from the cup, and remember me. Isn't that interesting? You don't have this plethora of other calls to remember in the New Testament. But you have this singular one. So Jesus says, now for you as my followers, you've been set free from sin. It's penalty. Eventually it's present. When you look back and you remember, this is what you look back to. You look back and you remember, you were slaves to sin. And I set you free. That Jesus is the ultimate Moses, the deliverer. Jesus, remember Joshua in the Old Testament is the same name as Jesus, Yeshua, Jesus is the ultimate Joshua that leads us into the land of freedom and promise. So for us, singularly, when we're thinking about this as believers today, we should be thinking about who Jesus is and what He did for us. He's the one that ultimately set us free. When we gather as a church family, and I hope that we rejoice, I hope that's meaningful for us, I hope there's also that reminder I was a slave to sin and I'm free to rejoice with the household of faith. Or when we celebrate Christ's incarnation in December, Christ's resurrection in the spring, that in the midst of the celebration we're remembering we were slaves, God sent a Savior, just like Moses, but better, to lead us out of bondage into God's house, into freedom, into deliverance. On your study sheet, and this is why I hope you have one, there's some checkoffs again, and I just want to run through these briefly. Guys, do we thank God every day for saving us? I'm assuming most of you know God as Savior. Is that a marvel? I mean, when we wake up in the morning, draw our first breath, do we just thank God, thanks so much for saving me? Thanks so much for saving me. You know, many of us grew up, grew up in this church, grew up in a Christian household, and you might say, I can't look back over a life of sin. But you have a sin nature and you feel its tug and its pull and you still sin and you know that the fruit of sin is always death and you can still have that same experience. Thank God that you saved me, that you delivered me from sin. 
Do I keep short accounts of my sin and failures on a regular basis? And by that I mean, do we confess our sin as soon as we have opportunity to do so? Our conscience pangs us. We know we've done wrong. Do we confess that to God immediately? Do we take our sin, our slavery, seriously? And do we confess those to others as needed? Uh, Do I take joy in celebrating Jesus' incarnation and resurrection because by them I'm delivered from God's judgment? Do I remember what it costs God to save me, to deliver me from the house of bondage? Do I delight to remember Jesus in His death and resurrection at the Lord's Supper? Guys, you know, different church groups remember the Lord at the Lord's table different occasions, weekly, monthly, some annually. Jesus just said, as often as you do this. He didn't say how often. He just said, as often as you do this. Now, we try and help people be serious about this. So we say, contemplate your sin or your relationship's right. And all that's good. It's biblical. It's out of 1 Corinthians 11. But the Lord's Supper should be a point of celebration. There should be joy in that. So when we partake, we'll do this next week. When we partake of those elements and look back, is there a sense of joy and celebration? I was lost. But now I'm, I've been found. I was dead and now I'm alive because Jesus loved me. And remember, the Lord's Supper, it's not just this um, object lesson of deliverance, but it's of Christ's love for us. Christ says, I loved you this much. This is what I did for you. You remember me this way. And is my appreciation for my salvation sharpened by the knowledge of my own sinfulness? I always forget one or more of these. But there you are. Okay. So, delivered from sin, delivered from slavery. The next text is, this is point three on your study sheet, remember the ceaseless labors as a slave. This is from Deuteronomy 5.15. Guys, this is in Deuteronomy. These are the Ten Commandments. So, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5. God said there through Moses, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm, therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What does that mean? You were slaves, therefore God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. Guys, do you know that slaves didn't have days off? They didn't have days off. You know what God's telling them? When you don't take days off, when you don't take a Sabbath rest, you're living like a slave. When you don't trust me for that day off, you're just living like a slave. I deliver you from slavery, so why would you choose to live like one? Sabbath rest was a reminder that our God gives us rest, but slaves have no rest. So don't live and don't think like a slave. There's lots of stuff we could talk about on the Sabbath. Briefly, there's a lot of Christians, pseudo-Christians, wannabe Christians, Judaizing Christians today that are telling Christians you need to keep Sabbath from the law. That you need to keep Jewish feasts. That you as Gentiles need to become more Jewish by reading the Jewish law and implementing those elements into your life. And this is absolutely wrong-headed. It's wrongly applied. You name it. We've already we've studied through Ephesians, right? God made one new house from Jews and Gentiles. No longer Jews, no longer Gentiles. So some people are telling us as Christians, no, you need to keep the Sabbath. Like, you know, I hope I don't, uh, I don't attempt to be disrespectful here. So if I step on your toes, forgive me, and I'm glad to have a discussion with you about this later. The Sabbath as an element of the covenant can't be enjoined on Christians because the covenant is not in force. The old covenant's gone. Why? Because we have a new covenant. 
the old covenant is gone. It's abolished in Christ. Jesus institutes the new covenant. That's why he says, I'm instituting the new covenant in my blood. So you can't get there to the covenant. You don't live under the old covenant. So don't act like it. However, having said that, taking time off is a good idea, right? There's all kinds of issues related to taking time off intentionally and not living like slaves. So for Jews, Sabbath keeping that seventh day of each week from all their labors was an important reminder that they're no longer slaves, but they're free. They can take a day off. You know, Americans excel at being productive for sure, right? We, we've led the world traditionally in hours worked and productivity and efficiency. I mean, we're very good at this. But along with that, think also we're very good at obesity, heart disease, high blood pressure, panic attacks, and anxiety. I wonder if those are related. Could they be? They, they might be. How do we do at planning days and times of rest, humbly recognizing our own limits and our own needs? See, there's this reality that we aren't made to go 24-7. Ever. And others will point out to you that Sabbath keeping was observed before the law was given. It's a good point. That we were always meant to take days of rest. Or, or nights of rest. How about this from Psalm 127, verse 2? You guys remember this? Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. You know, you can live life in a way that you think is smart, but is really counterproductive. Well, verse 2 there says this. It's vain that you get up early and go to bed late. Does that describe any of us in here? You get up early because you got work to do. You stay up late because you got work to do. Was it nice to sleep in this morning, by the way? I could, I'm used to this summer schedule already. Got up at 5, not 4. Had my quiet time. Took a walk, leisurely walk. Watched a little TV this morning. Great, some great programming. And I thought, hmm, second cup of coffee. Now I can go to church. It was great. But some of us, our, our life is a style of we get up early and we stay up late because we're being productive, man. We're getting the job done. We eat the bread of anxious toil. But listen to this. But God says this. But He gives to His beloved sleep. Or some translation says, say, he gives to his beloved while they sleep. But the picture is this. God says, why do you live that way as if I don't exist? Why do you live as if you're God and I'm not? That everything depends on you. Now, there's a case for being responsible, right? Absolutely. We want to be responsible. We want to work hard. The Jews worked hard six days. They only took one day off. You know, we have two-day weekends, but I'll bet that they had more rest in one than most of us get in two. That our weekends are so filled with activities, things to do, that I'll bet they got more rest in one day than we get in two. Taking a day off or seasons off is humbling. And it's intended to be. Because it reminds us that our energy is limited. We are mortal. We are dust. We're here for a moment and we're gone. Our energy is limited. It's humbling and it's faith building because I trust God for the things I might otherwise be working at. When we're diligent and we've done the things we know God calls us to do, we can say this, Lord, I know there are other things to do. I've done everything I know to do at this point. I trust you for what's not done. That's liberating. And it's life dependent on faith in God, not faith in ourselves. 
It's recreational, recreational, time off, sleep, appropriate sleep, time off, vacations, because we're rebuilding our emotional, spiritual, and physical energies, and we need to. Our batteries do run down. We do drain. You have to have ways of building yourself back up. And it allows times to pray, to reflect, to read, to fellowship, and to worship. So, we're not enjoined as a covenant command to keep the Sabbath. And the Sabbath is Friday night to Saturday night. It's not Saturday and it's not Sunday. But this, this um, regularity of having a day off a week, it makes sense for all kinds of reasons. Now, to the point, to the Judaizing Christians today, this is also the bigger point to be made. I've got to get somebody else up here to run my slides because I keep forgetting all of them. There, that was your former life, guys. There you were, and now, now here you are. I'm terrible at this. I've got my cues, and I still miss them every time. Um, this is the deal. To the, to the folks who would try to make Gentiles in Jesus' church Jews, this is the thing. The ultimate rest you and I have has nothing to do with sleep, it has nothing to do with Saturday or Sunday. It has nothing to do with the day of the week. It has to do with Christ. And this is not a stretch. If you have your Bible, this is a great passage, by the way. Hebrews 4 starts this way. And the whole theme of Hebrews is this. To people tempted to go back to Judaism, the writer says, don't go back. You've just got shadows. Christ is a substance. Christ is better than anything you had. And Christ, Hebrews says, is the fulfillment of Sabbath rest. So Hebrews 4 says this, verse 1, We who believe enter God's rest. We who believe, we who have faith in Christ, Christ is the theme of all of Hebrews, we who have faith in Christ, we enter God's rest through Christ. Christ is our rest. You go down in that chapter to verse 9 and it says this, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now if someone quotes that to you out of context, you'll think, oh, I'm supposed to keep Sabbath. Not at all. For whoever has entered God's rest has rested from his works as God did from his. How do you enter God's rest? Through faith in Christ. Christ is the ultimate Sabbath rest. Christ is the fulfillment of rest in God. Daily, weekly, annually, Christ is the fulfillment of the rest. And the ultimate rest you and I needed was freedom from sin and freedom from the attempt to justify ourselves before a holy God, it will never work. So Hebrews says Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of rest. So, choose to live like sons and daughters by delighting in the rest we have in Christ. Look at your sheets again, if you would, for a moment. Slaves don't have time to rest, do we? And the first thing is just, do you guys get enough sleep at night? Solid question. Biblical Counseling Conference, the guy that's speaking is an MD. And, but he's a biblical counselor. But this is what he says. The first thing when people come in and they say stress, strain, whatever, whatever, he says the first question I always ask is, how much sleep do you get each night? Because he just recognizes if you're tired, you just multiply the kinds of, of challenges you're going to have. You get enough sleep. Do we intentionally take time off each week for rest and restoration? Do we intentionally take time off each week? We should. God's put us on a, a seven-day seven calendar. Do you guys know in the French Revolution, because they tried to get God out of everything they could, they left the seven-day calendar for a ten-day calendar. Right? The metric system. Everything's a unit of ten. And you know what they realized? Can't do it. The animals are worn out. The people are worn out. We're made for a seven-day week. 
Do we get rest on a weekly basis? Do we plan breaks from labors through the year? And I'm sort of talking about vacation here, but I'll qualify it this way. A couple ways. Jews had three mandatory vacations every year. So three times a year, two in the spring, one in the fall, every Jewish male was supposed to show up at the tabernacle or the temple and celebrate with God. Three times a year. These are farmers leaving their fields. These are tradesmen leaving their craft. They're taking a vacation. And what are they doing? They're going up and they're worshiping. They're hanging out. They're having fellowship meals with their families. They're around God three times a year. I'll bet none of us here take three vacations a year. But it was intentional. God mandated that. They didn't. God did. Dave Ramsey said this, and this is one of the few things. It's good stuff, right? Dave Ramsey stuff on saving, whatever. I appreciate it. But this is the thing I remembered. If you come home tired, you took a trip. If you come home rested, you had a vacation. You know, we learned early. We would take vacation. You guys know you've got to get so much in. We've only got this one week off. We've got to get it all in. And we used to do that, and I'd come home, and I realized I'd had a trip. I wasn't rested. So we started changing gears. It's like we're going to do fewer things. We're going to have more leisure time. We're going to enjoy it more, and we'll come home rested. That's appropriate. We need to plan those kinds of breaks. Am I willing to trust God for the things I don't get done because I'm humbling myself in rest? Do I trust God for the things I might otherwise think I'm going to get done? Am I substituting sports, hobbies, or activities for rest? For some of us, going fishing is rest. It's recreational. For others, it's just filling time. It's something to do. Are we actually having rest? So the thought isn't that I sit in a chair and I say, um, and I contemplate my navel or the universe, but it said I'm taking that time off to focus on God to, to physically to rest, but also emotionally and spiritually to be restored. And more importantly, am I resting in Christ as my Savior? And by this, I really mean, have I put away all the mentality that has to do that I'm going to work my way up to, into acceptance with God? And guys, even as Christians, this is what happens. We say, God, thank you for saving me in Christ. Now I'm going to make myself acceptable. By, by my good works, by my good thinking, by my refraining from sin. And you know what you find out? You just keep blowing it. So is my rest in Christ, is that putting away that human carnal tendency to try and make myself adequate before God the Father? So rest. Uh, God also says, remember the injustices of your slavery. And these have to do with the concepts of both generosity and and justice uh, look at deuteronomy fifteen twelve through 15 if your brother a hebrew man or a hebrew woman is sold to you remember the jews couldn't keep a fellow jew as a slave permanently but what you basically have here is a form of indentured servitude uh, basically slave status for a limited period of time he shall serve you six years and in the seventh year you shall let him go free when you let him go free don't let him go empty-handed. You shall furnish him liberally or generously out of your flock, out of your threshing floor, out of your wine press. All the ways you've benefited from his service, you're to bless him back. As the Lord your God has blessed you, you shall give to him. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this this day. God says, remember that you were a slave. And guess what? No one was generous to you. You were given the minimum to keep you going so that you could remain productive. There was no generosity. 
God says, when you have benefited by the labors of your Hebrew brother or sister, it's not merely an economic transaction. They're not your slave. They're God's son or daughter like you are. So when you've profited from their investment, you bless them as God has blessed you in part because of their labors. So you be generous to them. You don't give them out a little as they leave. You, you bless them bountifully, generously, graciously. God tells His own people to be generous to those who had served Him. It's not just about economics. It's about relationship. Be generous. You see, something akin to that, here's a nice slide. You know what? I'm going to get somebody to do this in the future because you're missing. Oh, sorry. Ah, there, that's a good one. That was a good one. This is really slow. Laboring and being generous. Uh, the next one is Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22. This is a little different take, a little different emphasis. He says, when you reap your harvest... In your field and forget a sheaf, you know, a stalk of grain falls over or barley. You shall not go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner. That's the stranger and on you who's wandering through your land. The fatherless, this is the orphan or the widow that the Lord, your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. So during the harvest, you don't go in and clear everything out. You go through once and you leave what you didn't pick up the first time. He says, when you beat your olive trees, you don't go over them a second time. It's for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You guys know you shake the olive trees, the, the ripe olives fall to the ground, or you beat it with these tall sticks, everything falls down. But guess what? Something stays on there. It's not quite as ripe. Those olives will fall later. Well, God says you don't go back and take a second harvest from them. You leave it. And also, when you gather grapes of your vineyard, don't strip it afterward. It's for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember, you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Remember your life as a slave when no one was giving you anything they didn't have to and you make provision for those who perhaps like you or your forebears find themselves, if not in slavery, simply without the basic necessities of life. And so you're going to be generous because you're going to leave stuff from your work for others. And this is one of the reasons I love this. There was no welfare system back then, right? Your family was your welfare system. So God says here, the stranger has no family. The orphan has no family. The widow has no family. And think of Ruth and think of Naomi and the story of Ruth. Yeah, I may just give up. Can you advance for me, guys, one more? You want me to turn this off? Try it again. Thank you. No welfare system, right? You're, if you're without a family, you have no provision. If you're not big enough, strong enough, young enough to make it on your own, you have no provision. This was God's provision. There's lots of things we could talk about this as well. You have some references on your study sheet. In, in one hand, 2 Thessalonians 3 says, don't give money or provision to folks who simply lazily say, I'm not working, but would you please take care of me? God says, don't do it. You don't work, you don't eat. It's simple. But you'll also see in Acts 4, Acts 6, 1 Timothy 5, you'll see God says you take care of those folks in your midst who can't take care of themselves. Take care of them. Well, for us, it's like, remember, if I was without provision, I'd want someone to take care of me. If I was the slave, 
I'd sure look for some generosity. That's the thought here as well. And last, sorry I'm running a little long. Imagine that. Um, just related to justice, Deuteronomy 24, 17 and 18. God says it's evil for us to make distinctions in people and treat them differently based on their social standing, their economic status, their physical appearance. He says don't do it. That's in James 2. But here he says don't pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless. Don't take a widow's garment and pledge. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt. The Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. This had to do with giving justice to those who didn't have an appeal process. The slaves had no appeal process. If I'm maligned, if someone does me wrong, I'm a slave, I have no appeal. God says, you're not to treat others like that. You remember that you've lived that. You don't want that. So you treat everyone in these matters of justice. You treat them all the same. It's not based on their standing. It's based on what does justice demand. So winding down, look at your study sheet again just for some applications here. Um, do we practice a, a generosity when we pay others for their services especially those in the household of faith. I think you've got a reference to Galatians 6.10 there. Do good to everyone, especially those who have the household of faith. Uh, being generous should be part of the, the blood, the lifeblood of Christians. God has been so abundantly generous to us. We should be generous to others. Are we generous just as a norm? As employers, are we appropriately generous and gracious with employees? There's sort of a break-even line if you're in business, right? You can't give people... Uh, unrestrained income, right? There's got to be some co correlation to business income and what you can give someone. But as employers, are we generous to those that we would employ? Are we willing to help in finances and practical means and ways when we see needs in the church, in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters in the faith? Are we willing to help them and be generous? Are we providing for elderly parents and their needs? Uh, for many of us, if you haven't, you will see this in the future. Your parents' health will decline. They'll be relying on you. Are you prepared to be helpful to them financially, practically, whatever that might be? That's part of the same theme. And are we thinking of and treating others in the church as fellow sons and daughters of God regardless of their worldly standing? Again, we don't want to make distinctions that come from an evil or wicked heart. So Memorial Weekend, what a great time. God says, remember, and primarily, remember that you were slaves. And God set you free. And remember what life was like as a slave. And don't treat other people the way you were treated as a slave, but let that lesson go with you in the way you treat others. So we remember God, we thank Him for our deliverance, and then we treat others out of the, the beneficial memory of life in slavery, we didn't want to live that way. We don't want to treat others that way either. Father, thanks. Thanks for saving us. For some of us, Lord, we didn't even know we were enslaved and you saved us. And for others, we were deep in it and knew it, needed a way out, and you saved us. Lord Jesus, thanks for your body broken on our behalf. Thanks for your blood spilled for our life. Thanks for being the better than Moses, the better than Joshua, than the, the one that leads us out of slavery into your house and freedom. Lord, this weekend, help us to appreciate you and bless each other. In Jesus' name.